a good show. <sighs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm well past deadline on a project that I haven't done any writing. I don't feel good about myself. Is that why we skipped last week's Whiting Wong? Yeah, yeah. Do you think anyone noticed? Doesn't I noticed that it makes me feel twice as bad as that we we canceled a show. Why? So I could sit in bed and not write. <laughs> Well, I guess we're just going to have to make up for it today by doing an extra awesome episode. Well, we're going to need an extra awesome theme song. Here it goes. Waiting Wongs is easy when you have friends. That sounded racist. This song should love that one. Yeah. Thank that you. one was by, uh, I I want to say Siegfried, but it's spelled Siegfried from Denmark. Thank you, Siegfried. Something's not rotten uh, In- where you're from, <laughs> and it's your composition. Um, I loved how fun and whimsical that one was. Yeah. I like that people have been taking like uh, more and more liberties with the song. Yeah. Um, well done. That was delightful. What a treat. Well... We got a lot of catching up to do this episode. We sure do. Has anything in your life changed since I last saw you two weeks ago? Yeah, I did Andrew T's uh, podcast. Oh, that's right. And I didn't. I'm friends with both of you, and I had no idea that you were doing this. Yeah, that was a good time. Very provocative. Mm-hmm. I won't listen to it. I don't like listening to myself pontificate. I listened to it. and It was great. Okay, good. Yeah. I also had a drink with him afterwards. A drink or two. Mm-hmm. I really like Andrew. Yeah, he's great. Okay. He's, he's like one of those guys and I'm like, oh, should I should I should make a new friend. <laughs> it's weird making friends when you're an adult. Yeah, when you're over 40, try it. <laughs> uh, like, no, I refuse. Hey, want to be friends? I don't want to make a single new friend once I hit 40. But yeah, we had a we had a pretty good time. For an Earwolf podcast, not bad. <laughs> Oh boy! Considering the dreck, those oh boy, so those trite <laughs> <laughs> shit, tripe <laughs> peddlers. I don't know, whatever. Uh, for those of you who can't tell, I'm rolling in drunk. I <laughs> I went to the dentist today. They numbed my jaw. That's not an excuse. When I just to give you an idea of what Dan is like right now, when I walked in, he was laying on the couch. Yeah. Usually I'm standing oh, at his... my upright desk jogging on a treadmill. Yeah. And then his I watched as his phone fell out of his pocket onto the floor and he didn't react. Well, it was my AirPod case, not my phone. Oh. And Spencer grabbed it for me and I knew he would. When you get a Spencer, you'll, you won't react. It must be nice to have a Spencer in your life. Mm-hmm. If only one day I too can have a Spencer. Too bad for white privilege. <laughs> well, that's see, that's the also the ultimate is to have a white Spencer. Let's make the goal of this podcast to get you a Spencer, but specifically a white Spencer. I mean, a Spencer is white, but like I just want to be very clear that you want, I to want be a, a white, white person. Why want... isn't my Spencer Asian? Um, I don't know. Well, like I because because white people are the Lamborghini of, of <laughs> no, people. because I want a white man serving me. All right, okay. Well, let's get you one. We're yeah. going to get you one. What would you do if I stole Spencer away from you? 
Spencer, I want you to think about what it would take for me to steal you away from Dan. Given, yeah, I, I guess I would pretend it didn't get to me at all, mm-hmm. and then I would lash out randomly. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, I would explode it. Yeah, I don't know. Um. All right. So we got a big show ahead of us. We sure do. If you can't tell by this low energy beginning. <laughs> So much to talk about. So much to talk about. Why don't we start with a email? Race mail. It's a segment. People like segments. <laughs> race mail. When you got a question about race, send a race mail. It won't get here any faster than a regular mail. Yes. Uh, um, the I name sh- implies <laughs> it'll race here, but it's... <laughs> but it's a different race we're referring to. Yep. Um, I'm once again very behind on emails. Um, but uh, let's catch up. Lightning round. Let's let's catch up. Um, okay. Here, uh, here's a great email. Um, with a question that we can answer. Um, hi Jessica. Also Dan, longtime listener, first time caller. My girlfriend is a first time staff writer. Um, and she's in a room that is. Uh, Jessica is currently improvisationally redacting some information that we don't want this um, we don't want this young lady to be identifiable. Yes, um, I probably should have planned this first, but I thought I would just you know. Okay, so she, my girlfriend is a first time staff writer, and she is in a writing room with some with. Uh, mostly white men and a handful of unknowns who are mostly people of color and women. And to be clear, uh, the girlfriend is white and she and she is a first time staff writer. So she's young. Um, it sounds like an unhealthy creative environment, though. The white dudes dominate the conversation and she says the rest of the room struggles on the sidelines a bit. In her case, a lot. She sometimes doesn't get a word in edgewise all day. Without her own shot at being on script this season, she feels like she hasn't had a chance to shine. At least once a week, she comes home feeling defeated and anxious. She's a fan of the guy who runs the show and she believes in him and stays positive all the time. And I know she's contributed her share of dialogue and it's gone over well. But I think deep down she's come to quietly resent the professional social dynamics at play in this room and the way she struggles all the time. She's afraid she'll never get another writing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was bound to happen sooner or later. Another writing job because she's not able to volley with these more senior writers who have their own dynamic and feed off each other and are, again, all white dudes. Any words of advice for her? Oh, well, super easy from the hip. Jeez, it gets better. Uh, she's a new writer. Yeah. I, I, aside from anything else that we talk about on the show about how shit needs to change, my advice immediately to freshman writers is like, geez, I, 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 I look, <clears throat> it's high school all over again. You, you weather it's, it's, it's shit rolls downhill. You get, you get treated worse. You're there depending on the, uh, writer's room. There are writers' rooms that are famous for instituting rules where if you're a, a freshman writer and a senior writer starts to talk, you have to let them interrupt you. That may be a de facto thing that happens anyway. I mean, you're a younger writer and you're in a room full of writers. It sucks. Yeah, this is interesting because you have never experienced being a staff writer, mm-hmm. but you've experienced several times being a showrunner. Um, and, uh, and I think it'd be really helpful coming from your perspective, what you would want as a showrunner, how you would want a young staff writer to, 
to shine and well, to behave. Yeah, I mean, and I he's, and that's where it gets a little complicated because mm-hmm. as a showrunner, I I felt like I was I wasn't. We've talked about this in the past, where it's like, oh, by the way, your showrunner might look like a rich white privileged dude to you, who's like knows what he's doing, and therefore can only be unfair or fair to you. And in the meantime, that dude is thinking of himself as fighting his own battles. <clears throat> I, 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 like me personally, I I always looked at my writers' room as being like a Manson Ranch, where it was like, look, if <laughs> oh, if you're God. if you're a new writer. And I, I would, I would tell younger writers like, don't, don't let the older writers sweat you, like they can't fire you. I can, like, like, mm-hmm. like, just like let it fly, and and everybody will figure it out after a while. Yeah, I do think that you having been in, oh God, I think I've been on like ten staffs now at this point, but like. I think that you are because, you know, every showrunner is different. They all have their different styles. And I do think that you're one of the ones who you are the type of showrunner who is very egalitarian in that, like, you want everyone to be able to contribute. Right. But there are definitely shows like shows that I've been on where, like, the showrunner runs the room with a hierarchy and that's much more traditional. Um, And in those instances, like. Um, when I talk about hierarchy, I mean, um, you know, they want the uh, – there are certain conversations where it's like the upper level, older, more experienced people are supposed to talk and the younger, like less experienced people are supposed to just wait until it's their turn to contribute something. Yeah, and I don't know mm-hmm. what – I don't have an opinion about which is – the right way to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, th- it's whatever works. I think it's whatever works for the showrunner because ultimately it's their room. They're running it however they think works best. And like, I mean, there's nothing you can, if you disagree, it's still their, it's still, still their show. Yeah. If the writer's so, if the showrunner's so good at running a Manson ranch <laughs> that they can handle it, if they're a cult leader, good for them, then that's what works. Right. And if the, if the showrunner is so good at running you know, Frasier or whatever. I remember Frasier was used as one of the examples of it. They had a really like mm-hmm. militant I don't mean to make it sound villainous because it functioned that the higher level writers, they just if they start talking then everyone else has to shut the fuck up and yep. et cetera. Um everything in between. It's the showrunner's uh, choice, how they want to run the dynamic of the room. Then the room gets split up into different things. Um I think that this guy's writing in saying, do you have anything to, that I could say to my lover who comes home at night being really frustrated about how unfair the environment feels? Do you always use the term lover? No. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Partner, significant other. I don't know. Um, the... It, it he he's he feels helpless because she's coming home and she's like man i'm in this lion's den all day yeah. and it stinks um i if anything i would say to him so he could say to her cuz i think that's what this email's about um it definitely there's no clearer case of it gets better if she can if she can toe the line and now this is not advice to say that she should swallow her uh identity and and get and get and be end up being chum in in someone's shitty shark tour 
Um, but if she can make it through her contractually obligated period without becoming um, uh, the person who died on an unnecessary hill. Remember now, 90%, 95%, 99% of all television shows are garbage, They're, which means that if it's not your show, if you didn't create it and it's not your name on the opening title card, um, what, what, you know, what should you do? Toe the line, prove you can get through a tour of duty. And I know on Community, if you were a staff writer, that meant next season you were going to be a story editor. And if you're a story editor, that meant the next season you were going to be supervising producer or whatever comes next. <laughs> There's like three other positions in between that. Like I give a fuck. <laughs> Uh, like, spoken it, it, like someone who hasn't had to climb up through the ranks. Yeah, spoken like somebody who always made sure that all of those <sighs> people, like this guy's girlfriend, were three seasons from being like... Yeah, but I mean, it sounds by the description like it is uh, a different room. And so uh, I have some di certain differing opinions than you about stuff like this. Because from experience, there's it's such a horrible feeling to want to do your job and to want to do it well and not know how to do it well because the room is so opaque or they're being so um, aloof and like – and I don't know if the the implication here is that it's a click because there are clicky rooms. But it can feel clickish to someone who's just coming in who's young and who's not – a white dude who went to fucking Harvard, you know, and like so and but I, I can so identify with the feeling of knowing that you can probably do a good job, wanting to do a good job, really, you know, just having like all this desire to like give your best effort, but not being able to because you don't know what you should be doing because no one is everyone's being so opaque about stuff like that. Um like, I agree with you in that, like, yeah, you, you, you do have just whatever you can do to get through it. Um, but also, like, don't freak out about, like, this, it always being like this. Meaning, like, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world if you don't get asked back. Because that's happened to me where I was like, and I would be like, what the fuck did I do wrong? You oh, know? God, but yeah, don't get asked back. Don't, but it's not the end of the world. Like, here's the thing, like, a lot of times when you're starting out as a writer, you think, like, if I don't get asked back for the next season, I mean, that, essentially it means you're fired, but, like... No. Well, I, I mean, mean, kind I, of. I, like, technically I, it means you well, are. I mean, I think let's, let's have that yeah. conversation and let's say to writers out there... It it doesn't mean that. Like I I, I I have not renewed a million options. Yeah. That's to me, that's called an honorable discharge. Sure. But no matter what, you're not you're not being asked to keep your job. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. And so like but the thing is that's not the worst thing in the world because it just it just usually means that it's it's not a good fit. Like and you probably weren't happy doing that job either. And the thing is oh you just God, need experience. Also there could be a yeah. there's so many other factors. Uh, it j just as surely as like when you don't get a job how you shouldn't like think that it has anything to do with whether you're good. Uh, you can't control outcomes and you can't control conversations that are happening that you're not involved with. So just yeah. to be clear on that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, the money that your deal represents, it could be, oh, if we renew Jessica's option, it costs twice as much money as if we um, ditch Jessica and then we can free up money. It could be to buy a, a fucking extra storyboard artist. You don't know. So, so like definitely never, ever, ever consider not – 
Yeah. But even if it is a show where you weren't able to shine, it doesn't mean you're bad at what you do. It just means that you weren't the right fit. This show and you were not the right fit for any for to, to be together. Like it's it's like dating in that way. Like some people can not really uh, make a mark on a show and then be like a rock star on a different show that really suits them. So I don't think you should um, first and foremost, like don't think that this means you're not a good enough writer because it definitely doesn't mean that. And the other thing is like, no matter what getting any experience in the writer's room is helpful. And even if it's a horrific experience, like I think that that's, you're still going to learn a ton and you can learn just as much, if not more, from a badly run room as a well-run room. Because um, I know I've certainly learned so much from rooms that I thought were poorly run. Um, and they're, they've are they all shaped, like, the writer that I am today. Um, what's nice is that at least you're not the only woman in the room, because I think that that is really helpful. And, like, I would – I wonder, like – how whether or not you you can find support with the other like uh uh lower level people the other women in the room the other people of color in the room because you're all kind of being othered by this group of like well-known white dudes who are older and more experienced and um and i found that it was enormously helpful for me to just have like like a support group with like other writers who were kind of in the same boat as me who kind of understood and like it really helps when you guys uh, kind of band together, support each other, help each other out in the room and like um, and kind of just there's this thing called uh, shine. Uh, I think it's called the shine theory or shine method or something that women have implicated famously implicated in the Obama White House staff where um, when one woman would because women are often talked over and people don't. I don't know hear. what you're talking about. <laughs> Or uh, they're, when they contribute something, it's not acknowledged. And then later, two minutes later, when a man says it, people are like, oh, my God, that's a great idea. Because they just it just went in one ear and out the other when a yeah. woman said it. And so the women on staff at the Obama White House, um, they started doing this thing where anytime a woman said something, another woman would immediately repeat it and then credit her. And it really they they noticed like a marked difference in how much they were heard. They were heard more. And also, like, people tended to listen to them more when they were speaking the first time now because they were used to identifying that person as, oh, these people all contribute good ideas constantly. So when they talk, I should listen and I should take it in because it's probably going to be a good idea. You know, I will say I I listen to my own podcasts sometimes when I'm not afraid to. And I do, you know, like watching them like football plays, you know, like I'm like, oh, God, this this woman is talking and like you're not. You're kind of it's 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 it is as if almost like there's some potion I've had to drink where I just don't hear her. But that but I could also say that about like guests or something. I don't know what my deal is, but it's like I think it's the most healthy realization is yeah you don't know really how invisible people can be because to you they don't seem invisible because. Um, because they, they were invisible to they're you. They're invisible. And you're, so you're seeing the coffee maker behind <laughs> yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. You're not seeing them as invisible. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so that is an interesting concept. But I, I just want to focus on this last paragraph because, because I think this is all good news. Because to repeat this guy's phrase, she's a fan of the guy who runs the show. She believes in him and stays positive all the time. And I know she's contributed her share of dialogue and it's gone over well. 
but I think deep down she's come to quietly resent the blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it's really it's just about her coming home at the end of the day feeling a little demoralized. But the great news is, yeah, this is going to be over really soon. If these other things are true, she's going to shoot up through the ranks. I, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry if hopefully. that's Pollyanna of me, but hopefully. if she was my writer, yeah. I like, like, there's no. It's easier. Laziness is on her side. If she like, like, it's like, oh, what are we going to do next season? If this, if this show isn't a piece of shit and it comes back for another season, or it's, a, it's like, oh. Yeah, oh, who's that girl who uh, is a fan of mine and believes in me and stays positive all the time and contributes her share of dialogue and it's gone over well? Yeah, zing, 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 zing. Well, she's she's going to be Donkey you, Kong you in would, three levels. You would think that, but experience tells me otherwise. Well, I, okay. I, I mean, but but can't we both agree that that's the best course of action for her is to take heart? and? Yeah, I think that, I think that even if you're in a, a really difficult situation, all you can do really is kind of the same thing you're doing, which is contribute when you can be be the best person in that room that you possibly can lend support to the other women and people of color in the room. And hopefully they'll reciprocate. And at the end of the season, like whatever happens, happens. But you'll at least know that you did the best you can. And if the showrunner is a horrible showrunner, the the wonderful thing that might happen is that later on, when you've moved on to another show, you'll meet people who have subsequently written for that person, and then you guys can go to drinks and talk about how horrible it was. There's and that then too, man. yeah, and then yeah. you'll realize you it was you know you were being gaslighted, and that like yes, it is not normal to behave that way. It's not normal to run a room that way. And like, and you know, it's very cathartic. Well, always assume you're being gaslighted. I mean, even I do, and I'm the ga- gaslighter. Like, like that <laughs> I know. Means... Oh, the guy who uh, wanted to compare himself to Charles Manson as Every... a gaslighter. What a shock! <laughs> Everyone that you're working for and around and over and under and on the side of, they they're gonna end up with a show at some point. I, and so, like, make them make them remember you as a as a as a person that uh, be an air freshener i uh, otherwise uh, and then and then there's this other task which is create something become a showrunner yeah well get get the experience you need so that you can get to a position where you will treat people better than you're being treated it'll all be over so soon there's a there's no it's not like the corporations for whom we write these shows are willing to make us spend eight years writing a show like you're in and out Mm, it's okay. like basic training. This is you're, This is very Pollyanna because I'm much more cynical than you. And I think it's because I, I've gone through all of it. And it's the hardest, hardest leap is to go from staff writer to story editor. That is the hardest leap. Um, yeah. Because if you don't and I don't I'm not saying this to discourage her, but realistically, like that is the hardest step because it's once you get hired as a staff writer, you know, you're the it's the lowest rung and it's the cheapest. When you get to story editor, it the pay structure actually changes and the the pay the jump in pay is so drastic that people are incentivized to keep you at staff writer Jesus level. Christ. Yeah, wow. it's like it's it's almost double. It's like you get paid like sixty percent more. Yeah, so more. you hire another cheap writer. I I I, I well I'll, look, I'm not trying to high road anybody. I, maybe it was a different time, a different environment on community. I say this without fear of anybody <laughs> exposing me as a fraud. Um, I believe quite literally there was never a single staff writer on community that that 
was a staff writer yeah. for more than one year. Well, I mean, because the fear isn't just like, oh, they'll keep me at staff writer. Because usually, the, usually the easiest route to going from staff writer story writer is to be asked back from on the show. Because then they kind of have to promote you, unless it's one of those shitty guys who like forces people to stay at staff writer so that they can continue to oh, get you're diversity like... hires. That's different. But um, but but no, there are people who. But what's really really difficult is if you are a staff writer on a show and then they don't ask you back, then to try to get hired as a story editor, it's kind of t- tough because a lot of oh. a lot of shitty shows might be like no uh we we still we would hire we'll hire you only if you do staff gotcha, writer again gotcha, gotcha. and that ha- does happen and if you and if that happens to you a couple of times it really really sucks for you you know um and that is a real thing that happens so i totally understand like the fear and the anxiety and the worry because it's all very very real well again this is a white dude talk about his white, <laughs> his white girlfriend who's coming home and and who's on like a uh, a, a show like she's working under like a whatever we're not gonna make her identifiable but she's in the catbird seat her her sweet adorable boyfriend is like could i listen to your podcast while my girlfriend is bringing home the bacon can i impress her when she comes home by like <laughs> using my podcast knowledge to like say some shit to her that she's never heard before because i feel helpless when she comes to the door and goes like yeah this fucking crazy dude like that runs the show that I work on is like, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I feel smart and wonderful and, and, and Right, but he's hired all of his friends and right. they're all more experienced and they only want to talk amongst themselves. And, and it's, he wants and to it's be a able to club. say to her, yeah, yeah. Like, like, well, I listen to this podcast and here's the thing, like, you know, control your breath and do this thing. And, and, and what I'm saying to that guy is to say to his girlfriend – um, for sure, like, like she ain't got nothing to worry about. I don't, but and, and I don't know if you're disagreeing with me, but like, she's on the fast track. Um, I disagree with you <laughs> very much. Okay. So, um, I well, don't. Don't think... forget, she's white. Yeah, but she's a woman. Yeah, but that's th- those cancel out. No, they don't at all. I mean, in she's all other facets, woman. yeah. I mean, in all that other makes her facets, just a generic. But person. in the writers' room, it doesn't. It really, really doesn't. <laughs> well, but but for real, like like, am I am I part of the? So I'm you're, part of the problem at this point when I go like. Come on, at this point... You're asking me if you're part of the problem when I tell you that it's hard to be a woman in the writer's room even if you're white and you're not believing me? No, I'm <laughs> saying like there's, that there's an... Like, aren't writer's rooms like uh, uh, trying to achieve gender diversity? In, in, in a world where it's really hard to get hired and it's like definitely the jig is up with white dudes, isn't it like kind of time for the white woman like isn't it kind of a gold rush no it's no it's still super super hard and weird and tough to be a woman in the writer's room like this is the- i'll believe it when <laughs> i see it people ask me like oh <laughs> do you think it's been better since you first started writing and like i mean the the, the answer is yes sort of in the sense yes it is better in the sense that back in the day more often than not, I was the only woman in the writer's room. And now I'm usually one of two women in the writer's room. Like, so I guess it's doubled, but that's not very much, you know. And like still much more often than not, I'm the only person of color in the writer's room, too. Well, I just want to say to this guy, you're dating a white woman writer. Amazing. Oh boy, is this what you say to yourself in the mirror every yeah, morning? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, do you know how how hard it is to 
I mean, I don't know what this guy does. I picture him as like a plumber. What if it was Aaron Sorkin writing it? <laughs> <laughs> that would make me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's got to be a bricklayer, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have these questions. Look, I, that's what I'm saying to this bricklayer. I, like, you I, landed a white woman writer. Like, fucking. I so back I and... so understand where he's coming from. Seeing like your partner come home every day and just being demoralized and feeling helpless and wanting to like help them and not knowing what yeah, to do. Yeah. And I totally identify with her because I went through that when I was like I was staff writer for more than once. Well, you know, on there... different shows, and like, and it's because like the 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 second show that had me as a staff writer just didn't recognize that I was a staff writer on on the previous show, you know, because it was like kids TV. Well, it makes me wonder about all the you know girlfriends I've had when I was like coming home and kvetching about how it's how hard it is to be a white male showrunner, you know, and they they still had to like no, but it's out very to, like, it's it is it's very very hard to be the woman in the writers room. It really like there's just I just don't know how else I can put it like it really well, is well no it's like, yeah. like, I, I, I'm not I'm only being mm-hmm. glib and I'm saying like is there action items on advice that we can give the guy because well say, I mean it's more about giving advice to the girl which is like yeah it sucks like try to learn as much as you can like it really is do more of what you're currently doing which is try to get in your jokes when you can just think about it this way like your job is your job isn't actually to be the best writer in the room. Right. Your job is to try to make the showrunner's life as easy as possible. It, so whatever you can do to make the showrunner's job easier, if it's being the person who constantly has good pitches, being the being the person who's like the ideas generator, being the person who's constantly like cranking out funny dialogue, like whatever it is that's going to make this showrunner's life easier, like that's how you make yourself invaluable on the staff and and really like form a support group with the other women help each other out in the room, support each other, like go out after work and have drinks and commiserate and talk about like how tough it is. Cause I mean, it really helps even just talking about it and, and realizing that other people feel the same way you do and knowing that you're not alone, like helps your emotional mental well-being so enormously. Um, and when you guys support each other in the room, like just only good things happen unless you just have a hor- horrible monster of a showrunner, okay. which it doesn't sound like they, just, just she does. Just make sure one of those people you you confide in at the bowling alley after the show doesn't turn out to be a sociopath that yes. uh, seeks – whose survival mechanism is to do yeah, that. Yeah, test the waters a little uh, bit. Draw, I, well, I mean to... also you don't have to talk shit about anybody. You could just say like, look, I'm struggling because I feel like everybody has – because I think it's totally fair and diplomatic to say I'm struggling because every it seems like all these guys have a dynamic and it's very hard to get a word in edgewise and I'm just feeling a little bit um, helpless like I think that's totally fair and you're not throwing anybody under the bus you're not talking shit you're just you're just being honest and truthful about like your feelings in the writer's room this young lady did not write in her her lover did and, and <laughs> I'm just I'm just again. saying to him your girlfriend is a soldier she's it's not but she's a soldier the good news is she's enlisted she's not she's not an officer so she that might be of comfort to her that it's like every day is another day toward the end of her tour of duty. It's not her war. It's not her army. For you to understand that, that that's she's like a firefighter or a cop. Like she's got to go. It's real firefighters and cops. Hopefully aren't listening to the show or they'll be throwing their Dalmatians at the radio. If that's how people listen to podcasts. Um, the, 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 but for our 
purposes. Like your girlfriend is a soldier in someone else's war. And the good news is she won't get killed. Like she can. And, and, and like, I think when she comes home and is like, God damn it, Richard, um, like ignored me. And then Brian swooped in and said my idea in a lampoony way. And now he's like getting an Emmy for it next week. And it's like, I think the thing it's I think maybe as her boyfriend, there's maybe a little bit of like, who can I punch <laughs> and what can I tell her? Right. And I, I, it's, it's like, it, it, no, she's a she, it, it, it stinks. And this too shall pass. Like yeah. that she's this... she's gaining experience and she's gaining knowledge. And Donald Glover was a right a staff writer on 30 Rock and then whipped through community and is now. Um, uh, An in charge of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, be, that's how fast. If you o- you don't even have to kiss ass. You just have to like follow your trajectory. All right. This is what I'm going to say to your girlfriend. So, young lady writer, like it sucks. I know it sucks. I went through the exact same thing. I had the exact same feelings when I was a staff writer, and. Uh, what I don't want you to do is beat yourself up over it because it doesn't mean you're not good. And I don't want you to get in your head about it and spiral about it. Like, don't let it eat up your emotional and mental headspace um, like that because it just means that this might not be the best fit for you. And there is a show out there where you're going to be staffed on it at whatever level and it's going to feel wonderful and you're going to feel like you found the right group. And it's, it is very similar to high school in that way that like you kind of, you know, when you find the right group, it feels wonderful and it feels like you're getting paid to just like hang out with your friends and make each other laugh. And so learn whatever you can from this. Remember what this feeling is so that when you do get to a position of power, you remember what it was like and you don't make anybody else on your staff feel this way. Um, But don't beat yourself up over it. Just work on your stuff. Work on your own. Write a new sample at night. You know, do whatever it is. Like if you do comedy, do comedy and like make whatever things that you've been wanting to make and uh, and just make the most out of this time. Um, But know that this is just like one obstacle in a in a hopefully long career. Yep. It's not your show. Yes. Um, okay. Do you want to take a break? That sounded rhetorical. It sounded like you want to take a break. <laughs> Jessica wants to take a break and get another drink. Jessica wants her wants her little Jessica juice. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry. No one is trying to say you're not rich, okay? Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to make it clear like it's not about if you are as rich no, Spencer would be, be like, nah, I got to go with loyalty. Mm. Maybe if no, you're if richer, I were, or if, you could double. Okay, if I were just as rich as you, but I still offered to pay more, like I allocated more percentage of my wealth to paying Spencer, yeah. I could steal him. Yeah, but I could. I, I would simply counter that offer. I would, I would we say would get Spencer, into a bidding war. I'd say, what happened with Jessica? Tell me what she offered you. And Spencer would go, look, <laughs> since you've been kind to me, I'm going to tell you what she yeah. offered. And I'm going to go, look. If I'm that's gonna all beat it's it. about. What if? And what, you were like, a dental plan. <laughs> you're gonna beat it by one dollar. <laughs> yeah. Or what? Or what? You know, if you're just joining us, um, Jessica's g- <laughs> like going over her her plan to steal Spencer from me. I mean, this is hypothetical. Yeah. I'm in no position to have uh, to be able to afford an assistant. As we as we predicted at the top of this podcast, she would slowly become a white man, and I would slowly. <laughs> become... <laughs> And she's now, she has cravings of empire. 
I know. Oh, man. And I would wear tuxedos every day. <laughs> That's what a white guy. That's here. And I would, I'm, meanwhile, I'm like, God, oh, I'd love to wear a kimono. I know it's not Chinese. I, I, but, but like, that's, how, that's what a white guy wears to you is it just a tuxedo all the time. Well, when we were, do you remember when we were doing, having a truck do the, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, artist 100% soft? Yeah, yeah. Um, do the Whiting Wongs logo. And we went through like a million different things that I would be, because we always knew yeah. that you would be Daniel San. Right. And he originally had me dressed as Cobra Kai. Right. And I was like, well, this this is just Karate Kid. This has nothing to do right. with our podcast. And But you looked so adorable as Daniel-san. Um, so we were like, okay, we're definitely keeping that. How, and, do, we, how do we draw an Asian woman yeah, wearing well, a, a <laughs> well, white guy outfit? Yes, because we were like, the equivalent needs to be that since you're dressed in an Asian outfit, like I need to be in right. like an unmistakably white outfit. And yeah. so then we were like, what does that mean? And initially you had said like golf clothes. <laughs> Yeah, but then when but then when he when he did one of me in golf clothes, I just look like a Korean mom. Like that's how <laughs> Korean moms dress twenty four seven. Yeah, she's just a Korean soccer mom. Yeah. she's just bringing orange slices to the game. <laughs> and then um and then he did like a whole bunch like there. Then we were then one of them was like a tuxedo, like if but like a white like right. a white dinner jacket James Bond tuxedo. Yeah. I really loved that one actually. And then there was one where I was in like a Gordon Gecko kind of striped business suit. Yeah. Um, did, well, did we actively kill? Uh, to me, my hip says, "Yeah, but I don't like this idea of like, equating whiteness with with uh, wealth. Wealth, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, 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 not, yeah, not to shy away from the fact that that's a big part of the thing, but yeah. But when you're being glib and saying let's swap racial wear yeah. and one guy's racial wear is a tuxedo, I guess maybe that's yeah. I'm like, oh, that's how we win. Is <laughs> like, because, like, no, put you in some white trash shit. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, because that's, like, unmistakably, like, white signifying. Pretty much. Although I would imagine if you went to, like, I mean, I, I have to imagine that overalls and a baseball cap are practical wear. It was wear. a trucker hat. Thank you very much. Right. Um, and I'm drinking, like, uh, domestic beer. Um, but like, but the funny thing is like what I'm wearing, how I'm dressed on the Whiting Wong's logo is probably the closest to like <laughs> my normal. How you dressed, yeah. yeah. Like I, like my uh, warm weather uniform is just cut off sh- denim shorts and like some trashy shirt, like, yeah. and cowboy boots. I like, I always look like I'm hanging around at a truck stop. All right. Okay. Well... Well, I got my Jessica juice. What's the next? I was I was very excited about. So I today I finally because Starburns has not stocked, uh, restocked any scotch, um, and I don't know who I'm supposed to complain to about this. I'm complaining to you about it. Mm. Um, I finally, after being dry for like two episodes, um, I finally remembered to bring some of my own scotch. All and- right. Well, Spencer's out in the thing. So Spencer, even though it's not his responsibility, what is your favorite? What is it? Bullet? What? No. What? Bullet isn't even scotch. Just tell me. <laughs> it's uh, it's Oban. Oban. Right. I wrote that down. Yeah. Spencer, could could Dan Harmon Incorporated <laughs> uh, make up for Starburns's uh, insult? Yeah. And we'll lack we'll, of we'll hospitality. So anyway, yeah, so I brought my own scotch, and uh, now I'm really worried about leaving it here because I don't want anybody else to drink it. We'll stock Oban. Thank you. 
Um, okay, now we can get back to the podcast. Is that Chinese whiskey? No. Um, Oban? Yeah. No, just... it's Scottish. and oh, In Scotland, it's pronounced Oban. But in America, you have to say Oban. Like, if you say Oban, people don't know what you're saying. So you, everybody in America says Oban. It's O-B-A-N, but it's uh, pronounced I Oban. guess that's on me because I remember the episode where I wrote it down and I'm like, oh, that would make a good gift. But what I didn't think is, oh, let's talk it behind the bar. So that's on me. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, did you know that Lee is also a Scottish last name? There's a lot of um, weird Asian-y sounding things, I guess, in Scottish culture. Okay. <laughs> what was that? Well, whose last name is Lee? What do you mean whose last No, like L-E-E, that's a Scottish yeah. last name too. Well, you're just saying like a lot, well, Scottish culture has a lot in common with- Well, that sound kind of Asian-y. Right, yeah. okay. That's all. All right. Because you said Oban sounded Asian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we got that cleared up. I feel like we're, we're yeah, Mercury's in retrograde. We're very rusty from skipping one episode. We're not seeing eye to eye at all. <laughs> That's happening more and more often, I've noticed. All right. Let's duke it out. I, a... I, I, I re- you know what? I think I can trace the rift back to sharks and dolphins. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, it left a permanent mark on our friendship. Are you trying to use that to... No, I don't want to get into it again. Okay. Okay. So we do have more to talk about. Yes. Okay. So the other day I was having lunch with a friend of mine who is a white male writer. Mm. Uh, the worst. The worst kind. And Bill Lawrence. I, I, I had... Bill Prady. <laughs> Just tell me. No, it's nobody him. famous. I know him. It's nobody famous. Okay. And uh, he's just like a mid-level writer. And Vince so, Gilligan. Huh? Vince Gilligan. <laughs> My good friend Vince Gilligan. I can fix this with oh, a phone call. Boy. Whatever your problem is, I, I can fix it. No, it wasn't a problem. He was just telling me, and I know this happens, but I didn't realize how often it happened, where he was saying that anytime, he has a writing partner, and he said anytime they don't ca- get a job... Um, they, their agent always tells them, oh, they went, they wanted right. diversity. Right. And so that's why, that's the reason you guys didn't get, because they wanted diversity. And that's literally every time they don't get a job. And he was like, and I know it's not true because, mm. well, A, it's, it just couldn't possibly be true. But B, also like, then you look at the staff of that show and it's right. all white people. Yeah. So they clearly weren't, that wasn't the reason. But what's, and I knew that that was used as an excuse a lot, but I didn't know it was so prevalent that it happened like regularly like that was just a stock answer and you know it's i i understand why the agent would say that because it takes it takes the blame off both the agent and off the clients they don't have to tell their client they don't have to get into this uncomfortable conversation of like well like this is why you didn't get it blah 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 and also it's not their fault uh the agents either you know that they couldn't like get the close this for their client and there's this other scapegoat that right. uh that has nothing to do with either either of their's ability to do their jobs and but it really fucking sucks because i get like my friend is like a sensitive considerate thoughtful person who thinks who hears that and is like that's not true that's just an excuse and i know that's not true but i 100% believe that there are tons and tons and tons of white guys who hear that and are like like 25 year old harman who are like well, fuck this shit it should be a meritocracy like if i'm mm-hmm. the best person for the job i should get it fuck all these diversity people like this is such bullshit that they're getting a job this is affirmative action blah 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 and i hate that this happens because it perpetuates that kind of resentment yeah 
That is rough. And I, I, the rough part of that is I was, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. Cause I was, I was like running a conversation through my head where like, cause I, my partner is a writer and like, what do you tell writers when they don't get a job? And like, I was, this isn't even the case with Cody, but like, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard to, it's like, I just remember a couple days ago, like in the shower, when you're just thinking of nothing, I was like running through conversations and I was thinking to myself, like, Oh, the kinds of comforting things you say to somebody, I say to another writer when they don't get a gig and like, boom, top of the list as an example of how you can't control outcome, it has nothing to do with whether you're a good or a bad writer. What's the handiest thing you could say? And as like it is like it's the top of the list is as as an example that when you're when you're trying to intimate to another writer and go don't this has nothing to do with you it has nothing to do with whether you're talented. For all you know, they might have needed to fill a quota. <clears throat> Um, and it's like right on top of the pile. And it's very interesting as an example. I think this, I think that's, that, that, that connects to all of society. Like, like that is, like, imagine how simple that explanation becomes. Well, here's. They took our George. Well, but here's how fucked up that is, is that guess what? I've never heard that excuse before because obviously well, yeah, no of one you could... never heard it. Yeah, because nobody the fuck's gonna not hire you for diversity reasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The they most can't. diverse person I've ever seen in my life. Like no one can use that. They that excuse doesn't apply to me. So I've never been told that excuse before. Meaning that there is something else you can say to your client. You know. Well, it's like you, but but they don't hold up. So 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 another thing you would say is what you should do is stop at. <laughs> There's probably a million factors that that, as I mentioned earlier, like, oh, what if we fire? What if we eliminate two staff writer positions from our writer budget? Then we can, can we afford our 3D printer so that we can make 3D Rick keychains, and then we can uh, double the budget for the hang glider? It, 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 you don't. You don't. The the larger point is you have no idea why yeah. your option well, wasn't renewed. This but, is but, also this is also what's well, it's not even your option being renewed. It's getting hired right. on a sh- on a show. But what's interesting is here's the thing that I'm I. I 50% of the time, I'm just told, hey, they passed. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I, I'm Maybe because I don't have white guy entitlement, but I'm never like, well, I demand to know why they didn't <laughs> hire me. Well, it's like they didn't hire me. Well, That's I a don't... fucking fact. Like, they just didn't. Like, you know what I mean? Because usually I don't expect people to turn in a fucking essay about why they didn't hire me. I just expect people to say pass well, and I that's it you know okay, but and I then the other and then when they do give me an excuse I mean sometimes the other 50% of the time I hear like well they went in a different direction and that's all that's all you need to hear like I'm, why can't they say that for everybody I'm reasonably certain that I, I don't want to make an assumption that all white writers ask for a receipt <laughs> when they don't get hired for a job and therefore their agents feel compelled I you're describing anecdotal evidence about a phenomenon that I do think is dangerous because it's it's all about alligators and toilets, but you know it's 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 urban legend. It's it it's it makes this perfect because it it has its roots in reality. It's the perfect example of why you might not have gotten hired. That has nothing to do with whether or not you're talented. Like you said, mm-hmm. that's a perfect example. That agent like steered between the highway cones of. 
it's not my fault, so I won't get fired as an agent. Mm-hmm. And it's not my client's fault, so they won't feel bad about themselves yeah. and they'll continue to work. And also, work. I don't have to get into a whole conversation where I have to reassure them that they're okay. It's like the easiest example you could pluck out. Because otherwise, you got to go down to, well, maybe the showrunner had a bad sandwich that morning. Yeah. That's actually more likely yeah. and is less comforting to your yeah. client. But here's the thing. It's not the easiest. Because the easiest is what I get told, which is they passed period, end of discussion, or they went in another direction, which you also can't argue for. It's it's literally saying they wanted somebody else, period. Like, there's nothing you can argue about that. Like, but, um, but what I think is really, really shitty about this one is that it's not the easiest, and it it's purposely scapegoating somebody, which is such a shitty thing to do. It's like purposely finding a villain and who is completely innocent in all this, you know, like there's no reason whatsoever in like blaming somebody else, like give it a shot and just say to your client, they passed and I don't know why, like mm-hmm. they didn't give me a reason. Like, well, you know what I mean? Like you can, that, that's, that's usually the reason like, is that they just say we went with somebody else, period. Yeah. Memo, memo to agents. I mean, <laughs> they're playing with fire. Yeah. I, I, like... But but I want, like, you know, aspiring writers out there, struggling writers who are trying to, like, get your foot in the door. If you're told that, that's a fucking excuse. Well, that's why that's, uh, this podcast, if there are agents listening, <laughs> they're, they answer to a higher calling. Yeah. And they're not going to listen to us. But just in case... Yeah, it's like, okay, agents, don't do that. You're you're actually causing ripples in the in the industry that actually can fuck people up. Um, it's I know it's an easy excuse because as I said, I was just in the shower thinking about it. Like <laughs> I was like running through weird simulations in my head of like like how do you explain to to a younger writer like how it's not within their control and like that is a thing that popped into my head immediately as like an example of a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and uh, so. I get it. It's a candy cane. It's there. Don't grab it. That's our message to agents. Our message to writers, which is way more important and way more applicable, is: Hey, writers, don't listen to your agents. <laughs> if you if you don't if you don't get a job, here's what you know. It's and and your agent is not an expert. You know that they didn't want you for the job, and it, it, you have no idea yeah. why. You didn't lose out to a diversity hire. You lost out to the. 20 other white guys who they did hire. And the 45,000 other factors. So, like, Jessica and I are... Jessica's on a... a, You know, I get it. (laughs) She's like, God damn it, all these white guys are going to blame diversity for this. And I'm, I'm, I'm over here saying... That's a lazy example that maybe somebody would grab off a pile in saying, hey, this has nothing to do with whether you're a good or bad writer. It's like the top of the pile to go that maybe they wanted to diversify. It, it Don't let that make you racist if you're a writer because, first of all, like we need less racist writers. <laughs> um, and, and as Jessica points out, if it really gets in your craw – follow up on that show see how goddamn diverse that show is yeah because if that show doesn't have 90 percent people of color you didn't lose (laughs) Uh, because i because that threatens me because i find myself on panels i keep saying to people listen kids they ain't coming for your pants like you're you're not losing your job to anybody of color because this quote this quota idea it's like it's not threatening your 
chances of getting hired. But and I don't, I don't want that threatened. I don't want people to throw something in my face and go, "Well, how come I heard the other day my cousin Carl didn't get hired because of diversity?" I'm like, "Well, prove it." Cuz I I don't see yeah. yeah. Yeah, look on the staff. How many white guys are on that staff and then come back and tell me why cousin Carl wasn't wasn't hired. Well, so all right. That was our next topic. I'm glad we talked <laughs> about I thought I think, that was going to take a lot longer. I think we're both in agreement, right? We're like, yeah, that's a horse shit. Yeah. It's, it's like totally a horse shit. It's, it's like, it, you know, it's like, remember in uh, 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 Raising Arizona, Nicolas Cage, he keeps he keeps blaming uh, the government for why he keeps robbing liquor stores. You know, he's like, oh, that's some bitch uh, Clinton in the White House or whatever. And it, it's like, it's like a joke of like you just grab something from the zeitgeist, yeah. Because you you gotta you, you're having a string of bad luck, yeah. And it's a good thing to grab because actually, <laughs> like the thought that an angel got its wings because you got some bad luck is actually that would be a healthy way of parsing bad luck. However, it's probably not true, and if it makes you racist, it's definitely gonna hurt more than it's gonna help. <laughs> I just heard some black guy got my job. <laughs> Yeah, in our dreams. Yeah. In 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 this industry's dreams. Yeah, this is our like this is our writers equivalent of like factory jobs being outsourced basically. Um all right. So next topic. Black Panther. What's up with this little clause? <laughs> you are so into like you're so obsessed with his little claws. I love that he has little aren't, claws. Aren't they adorable? Yeah, he can't like rip he, dimensions open with them or anything. No, but he could rip you apart. Well, you don't have to threaten me. <laughs> well, I don't want you. to- Can he sp- climb walls? You know what? Yes, he can. Is it so? Like, are the claws like, made out from, of vibranium? He can leap from like moving car to moving car, and he like anchors himself with his little claws. That's cool. Yeah, they are vibranium. I mean. I can't wait, like, for eight months from now when you finally watch this movie so we can actually talk about it. I finally saw Thor. I was about to ask. No. Thank God, Jesus. I felt like I got got to talk. Yeah, I can't talk about Thor. I can't. Okay. Too much at stake. (laughs) Does this mean you didn't like it? No, I mean, it's a Marvel movie. It's a Marvel movie. I got it. I got what does news. that mean? I got news for every kid listening. I don't. I don't. I don't. Harmon doesn't like Marvel. Yeah, you know what? They're what? like it's like yeah, they're fine if they're good and they're. I love and if they're Marvel. bad, I don't mention them. I I I I, th- I thought that Thor. The interesting thing about Thor is, I d- didn't it feel like there were like two um, braids of that movie, and one was like a very. Uh, Taika YTT like yeah. 80s inspired like yeah totally like I felt like, like it was like there was this amazing like kind of like linear meandering adventure going on and then there was like all this pipe that had to be fulfilled with like yeah. this dumb story about like someone's sister that wants to take over the thing and it was like kind of it, it kind of like one bank account kept robbing the other. That's what I felt watching that movie. I was like, can we just watch this movie that's like this cool 80s Psycho ITT movie about Jeff Goldblum and like taking a prisoner? Like, yeah. But I, I could, you know, maybe I yeah. ended my career saying Well, that. no, I, I, here's the thing. This is what I, what I love about the Marvel movies as opposed to all the other superhero universes is that Marvel movies to me feel very joyful. Like, they are full of love and exuberance for the source material and for, like, just being 
entertaining movies that are, like, well done. Yeah. And, like, that's what I love about them. Because, like... I mean, in contrast, you look at, like, the DC movies, and it's they're just... They just... They feel like there was no joy behind them. I feel like there's an irony to it, too, because what the, the Marvel... The... They don't believe in auteurs at Marvel. They believe in the in the Marvel religion, and yeah. yet you can tell that Kevin Feige, who like like is a fan that has risen to prominence, like is absolutely fine if you say to him, "I'd like this Spider-Man movie or this Thor movie. Um, I want the graphics to be like this. I want mm-hmm. the soundtrack to be like that." Sure, like, like you can put your stink on it. it. Yeah, you can put your stink on it. They have a way of doing things that's worked out very, very well for them, and like they really haven't had a miss. Like, yeah. I mean, they have some that aren't as good as others, but they don't really have like they've never had like a bomb or a disaster. You know? Yeah, the definition of risk feels very yeah. healthy at Marvel. Yeah, and like, and they've, and I think that they've now. I think they were a lot tighter about control at the beginning, and it feels like now they're much more open to having people who have a style, like, come in and play in their playground and, like, um, infuse it with their own style, but still, like, knowing that they're borrowing someone else's toy, you know? Yeah, yeah that could be a cool new thing in Marvel movies is if they slowly actually blend with the auteur model. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, you're cool. Come in and take over this property for one episode, one issue of this comic book and make it like this badass 80s like Xanadu thing. What was the movie that like, it was clearly like I'm humble brag, friends with Taika. <laughs> like I, 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 was, I was like watching it with Cody, who's also friends with him. And I was like, I was like oh, shit, I never what the fuck was it? Uh, shit. Watching that movie. Oh, Flash Gordon. The 80s Flash Gordon movie. Have you ever seen it? No. Uh, yeah. Like, it's 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 very clear that, that Taika, like, I assume is like a big fan of that movie. The 80s Flash Gordon movie. Because uh, if you're such good friends with Taika, why don't you have him come on the podcast? Well, does he? I mean, I guess he. he I'm okay. calling you out. I will. Prove that you're friends with him. All right, fine. All right, great. Um, he will do it. It's just that oh, I'll, really? I'll spend will? a Taika chip on it. I hope you're oh. happy. <laughs> How many Taika <laughs> chips do you think you have? Oh, come on. It'll, go, it'll be like, all right, great. I, uh, good to be here. And, uh, oh, boy. Great to oh, not yeah, have this, to answer you. Now you, gotta spend, you know what? Because you just did that impression, like now you have to spend two Taika chips. All right. You just double the cost of your Taika favor. I mean, what are you going to do if I bring you a Taika? Oh, I'd just be so overjoyed. Are yeah, you you're going to earn it? What are you going to ask him? Are you going to research his shit? You're going to ask him? I don't him... need to already know everything. All right. Yeah, I'm okay. a big Taika fan. Well, maybe I'll throw you this bone. Oh, God, here we go. This is the co- this is the fucking chip I have to pay is the <laughs> allowing Harmon to be smug chip. <laughs> oh, all right, is there anything else we should talk about? I guess this could just be a shorter episode. What about this rumor I heard that black people... <laughs> Uh uh-huh. are bad. <laughs> this is the rumor that you've heard? I just was watching uh the news. The American news. And it says black people are bad. 
<laughs> no, I don't think we have anything to talk about. Sorry, if you're black, it was, I, I, that was my idea of a joke for this podcast. Just just please recall earlier in the episode when we said that Harmon came in drunk and oh, was yeah. also asleep on the couch. <laughs> we got drunk. We had to, like, rouse him to come do this. So. <laughs> and he's also drunk on RX bars. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we, we, uh, we've deemed it appropriate to shoot children and, like, we're not going to do anything about it and... Oh man, you're gonna start this at at the sixty minute mark. Yeah. So I mean, who cares whether we're racist? <laughs> we can't protect our own children. Was my point. Oh boy. All right. Well, there's your uh, there's your happy ending. They're getting to me. <laughs> That's the end of our podcast. They're getting to me. No, the our end of our podcast is I become racist and you become the most. Oh no no yeah ever. no I mean the end of this episode. Oh yeah. We still have an arc. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the episodic arc. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, thanks for listening, race fans. Yeah. Stay fans of race. <laughs> Bye. It's a good show. <laughs> <laughs>